So you've got your product, the one you're convinced your customers are going to love. But are you really sure about that? As an entrepreneur, you're probably asking yourself over and over, is there anything else I can do to make this better? And if so, what is it? You had the drive to get it to this point in the creation of your product. And before you bring it to market, how can you feel good about what you've done in making sure that it is everything that it needs to be? In this episode, we're going to talk about how to solidify your product before you present it into the big bad world. We will talk about simple things you can do to get ready without getting caught in analysis paralysis. We have all done that. We'll talk about the basics of researching the right vendors and companies to source your materials, about testing the product before it launches, and the biggie. How do you figure out a price for your product that will appeal to your customers and also actually turn earn a profit at some point. From the time that we said, we are going to do this thing, we are going to create this ice cream company, and we're going to go do events. It was a maybe six, seven month process where we decided to pull the trigger, started to buy equipment, and decided we were going to launch with this event. And so we had six, seven months to pull this together between figuring out how to produce on a much larger scale, more than four or five servings a day. And then how were we going to pick what flavors we we're going to offer? What were we going to charge? I didn't even know how to serve our product in that manner. What's a three-gallon tub? And oh, how many does that even serve? Does that serve two people? Does that serve 200 people? That makes a big difference. And do we have to get special scoops? And when we go out into the field, what does that mean for the health department? There were just so many questions that we had to figure out and really try to get all those details in place before we actually opened the tent and were open for business. But for me, as a creative person, I loved that process so much. I loved figuring it out. At the time, I was very stressed out. I had this vision and nightmare that we're going to take it out in the cart and even though we're outside, it's going to melt anyways, even though it's in a freezer cart. And I was just terrified that we were going to advertise and tell people we're going to be at this event and we would either sell it all out within a few minutes or it wouldn't scoop out. There are just so many things you worry about when you're thinking about how do I get to day one. When we launched the cart and we launched the tent, and it was our food truck, so to speak. We really kept it very simple. We knew that we only had space for five flavors, and so that's what we offered. And we didn't try to overcomplicate it in trying to do toppings or trying to make waffle cones on site. We didn't do milkshakes. We didn't do banana splits. We didn't do all these things that people traditionally associate with an ice cream concept. And I felt like that was really nice because then we could just focus on the product. We could talk about you know, what makes us unique and different. In the beginning, I think it's important to just stand strong in your ground, like be strong in your feet and know where you stand, stand behind your product, stand by what makes it unique and different. One of the many first events that we went to, we didn't have a chocolate flavor. I love chocolate ice cream, but we only had five spots. And so I wanted it to be very Kentucky-centric. So we had bourbon and honey, Kentucky blackberry and buttermilk, coffee stout, vanilla, and fresh strawberry as our like main lineup. What was more important to me at the time was creating flavors that seemed unique 
so that when people looked at the menu, they could say, oh, that's interesting. I think I'd like to try that. Not even thinking about all the bazillion people who love chocolate ice cream and would come and just say, what chocolate do you have? And we said, we don't have a chocolate. And they would gasp and and turn around and storm away. And finally, after probably just two or three events, Mike came to me. He's like, we really need to do a chocolate because people are getting mad. And so something I didn't even envision would be an issue suddenly became an issue. And that's how dark chocolate truffle was created. And that's the one I created that I felt like was still unique and still fun, but it was very much a classic you know, if a kid comes and says, I need chocolate ice cream, this is the one that we give them. As I was learning to use our new commercial machine, which we spent a huge amount of money on, suddenly we could make six quarts instead of two quarts. And instead of in 40 minutes, we could do it in 10 minutes. It made a huge difference in the quality of the product and actually figuring out how we make this on a commercial scale versus just making it in a homemaker. So the super premium brands, Ben and Jerry's, Haagen-Dazs, they're all in the 14, 16% butter fat range, which is considered super premium. And I thought, well, you know, if they've got that amount of butter fat, I'm going to put more fat in it because more fat is better, right? And I discovered that as I was making this ice cream and churning this ice cream, and the way you put more fat in is you change your ratio of cream to milk. Cream has more fat, milk has less fat, you add more cream than milk. And I produced these different formulations, and I was like, this is going to be the best ice cream ever. And it turned out as it was churning that it actually had so much fat in it that it was churning its own butter into the ice cream. Somebody in town was creating this food festival. They decided to have a meeting of the minds with different food producers and chefs in town. I remember going to this event and just like scooping it out for people. And I remember their faces like, hmm. They were like, oh, that's that's uh, that's nice. I think it's got like, what's the chunks? And I was like, oh, I think that might be butter chunks. And thinking about it now, it's completely horrific to think of like having like weird butter chunks in your ice cream. But in my mind, I was like, oh, well, more fat's better, right? It wasn't until Mike and I went to ice cream school at Penn State and discovered that 16% is like the max. Otherwise, it will produce butter chunks and it will taste greasy because you have literally produced butter in your ice cream and turned butter into your ice cream. And it is not good for product quality. So I am here to tell you that more fat is not better. So our ice cream now is at a nice, happy 14%. And I will never again try to produce an ice cream that has 18, 20%. So I knew that there was still a ways to go to get our product to where I wanted it to be. And I would say, honestly, it probably was not until four or five years where I felt like we really settled in. And we obviously had hundreds and thousands of people that still loved our ice cream and and purchased it and supported us. But it's been a lot of testing and changing and adjusting. But even though it was not to where I felt like it could be, It didn't stop me from going ahead and putting it out there because it's important to put your product out there just to try and to just see what people say. It's never going to be perfect and you need to just launch the thing. Tao here, popping in to share my excitement about one of my favorite companies in the whole world, Holly Hill & Co. If you are like me and are obsessed with food, especially local food, you will appreciate those special ties that happen around the table. 
Holly Hill & Co. believes, like I do, that food creates connection and community unlike anything else. That's why they take care to strengthen the ties across the generations between family, the farmer, and the land, all the way to the food that ends up on your table. You can experience exactly what this means at one of Holly Hill's nine unique Central Kentucky restaurants and through their beautiful emails. If you're in Kentucky, be sure to find the nearest location and get ready for an amazing experience with the most fantastic food. Holly Hill's co-founder is none other than my dear friend, James Beard-nominated chef Weta Michael, who's been a force on the Kentucky food scene for over 20 years. Learn more about their incredible food community by visiting hollyhillandco.com, where you'll find stories, recipes, how-tos, and even curated gifts. Again, that's hollyhillandco.com, and let them know that Tao from Crankin'Boom sent you. If you've been listening to the show for a little bit now, you know that I believe in the emotional and magical power of food. A big part of the mission statement of Crank and Boom is igniting laughter and spreading joy. Ice cream is our gateway of delivering that to people, and Gold Belly is our partner in the actual delivery of our ice cream to all 50 states. They ship the most famous, the most regional, iconic food from all around the country right to your door. So even if you don't live in the place you grew up, but you really miss your New York bagels or Southern fluffy biscuits, you can get them shipped to wherever you'd like. Additionally, you can try foods from famous chefs like Nancy Silverton or Danny Meyer. Gold Belly is America's number one food marketplace for all your foodie dreams. If you haven't taken advantage of Gold Belly's amazing offerings, run over there right now to their website, goldbelly.com, and ship yourself a little happy today. That's goldbelly.com, and be sure to add a collection or two of Cranky Boom ice cream to your cart while you're at it. One of the biggest challenges in the beginning was when folks are used to a certain price point for a product that is a very big commodity, ice cream, you can get a $5 megatub from your local grocery store. How do we convince people to pay $4 for a single scoop of ice cream. And we got a lot of pushback in the beginning. Our prices at that time were comparable to other craft ice cream places in bigger cities. But for our town, it was pretty new to kind of have that price point. And we're not going to convince you to buy something you don't want to buy. But we can also offer a story and explanation as to why it costs $4 for a single scoop. And so if somebody is asking us, like, why is it so expensive? We explain to them our process. We explain that it's locally sourced. We explain that we are trying to build a team up with good wages and build a company that's different than other companies. If they say, well, I'm just not going to pay that, then, I mean, there's nothing you can do. They can walk away and they can get their cheaper ice cream elsewhere. That just means that's not your customer and you have to be okay with that. What I would mostly advise, if you know what your price point needs to be in order for you to run the business and you have pushback in the beginning, do not lower your prices. Just don't. Don't do it. It just means you haven't found your audience yet. It's all about numbers. You know, you can sell something high. You can have fewer customers. You can sell something low. You can have a lot more customers. There's a lot of different models that you can do. But for us, it was really important to stage ourselves as a premium product. 
So we accept that the way we make ice cream is very expensive and we have to price our products accordingly. Of course, you can't price it out of the market because then you have no customers. There's a give and take of where you have to land and only you can determine where that is. One of the most important things when we were creating this ice cream was, of course, to make the best ice cream that we could possible. I am a chef at heart, and I come from a culture where when I go back to my parents' hometown, they literally have a shop house where we have family members who live upstairs, and then they sell whatever product they sell downstairs, and it's a whole row of shop houses. And then on the back of that row of shop houses is an open market. So basically, we wake up, we walk there or ride a motorcycle, get breakfast, bring the ingredients for either us or somebody else to cook, and that's how we eat. We grow our own food, we create our food, and that is the food chain, basically. And so I was really interested to also put local ingredients into our menu and to also build that relationship with farmers, because I just, I love farmers. I love how hard they work and they're just the best people on earth. And I just wanted to make more friends who were farmers. And I was also very interested in the concept of building our own value chain. So if we created this ice cream company, then what if we could source dairy from a local farmer? And hopefully, if we grew as a business, then their business would grow. And now suddenly, we're not just affecting our economy, we're affecting that person's economy and their livelihood. And can we keep building on that where we are helping to bring income to a dairy farmer who might not have it otherwise. So when we were thinking about sourcing and it all stemmed from creating these little small batches. And so when you scale it, how do you continue to still source the very best ingredients to make the very best ice cream that you can? We looked for local dairy. We looked for local fruits that we could put into our ice cream. And everything we did, I just tried to find the best we could. So we don't have coconuts here in Kentucky. So the best coconut sources that I could find is from Thailand. So we import different coconut products to try and create this best coconut ice cream. We have this person who provides us our honey and you can actually taste the different seasons. If you've got a really in-tune palate, the ice cream with the honey will taste different from one season to the next because real bees are making real honey and that taste is shifting through the seasons. And I just really loved that process and that art of creating and putting a lot of thought into the production of it and why we source it that way, why we do this to make it taste better. It's just so important when you're trying to create something that you can be proud of. As you are putting together your big launch, it's so exciting, it's so stressful. You have been waiting for this moment for so long. I've got a few tips for you to just keep in mind as you send your baby out into the big, bad, scary world. Number one, you do not need perfection to launch. You might not have the right packaging. Even your product might not be where you want it to be. You might not have ordered what you wanted to order. It's okay. It's very easy to get stuck in wanting the perfection, but I would advise you to not worry as much about that and just hit the button and launch. 
Secondly, be open to all of the feedback. It is really important to open yourself up, let go of your ego, and not just wait for all of the praise and all of the people who are going to say, you are so awesome. That's the best thing I've ever seen. Be looking for people to actually critique your product or to critique your service or to critique your website. And all those things are the things that are going to make you better. So being open to feedback, not taking it personally and letting go of your ego and just absorbing all of that feedback and thinking, I'm so glad somebody was kind enough to tell me those things so that I can fix it and make it better. And then I would also advise to always find ways to improve. If you want to be in the long game, it is a long journey. It is fun to have the launch and all of that actually happen. But then it is going to be a journey as you perfect your product, change your product makeup, decide different pricing, all the things that we do to adjust our business to make it the best it can be. Have that growth mindset. Have that mindset where you're wanting to learn and to improve and to find other ways to do things. So we've talked a lot about the launch of leading up to this big day where you're going to hit your big red button and your product or your service is out into the world for sale. Now, congratulations that you made it this far. Not just that you had a dream and had talked to people about it, but the fact that you took action and that you bought stuff and you produced it or you had it manufactured or you created a website. Congratulations for being brave and for making it to this point. Well, then what do you do? I'm going to share with you in our next episode about what are the next steps after you launch? What do you do to keep things fresh? And how do you keep people interested? How do you continue to bring customers back? We're going to talk about that in the next episode. I'm going to have the most special guest, Michelle Kovac, who is my ride or die. She is our director of production and fulfillment at Crank and Boom. When people come in and talk to me about flavors and the magic that we do, it is really all her and her team. So we're going to pull back the curtain on what it's like behind the scenes at Crank and Boom, and it's going to be awesome. So I can't wait for you to hear that episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Crank and Boom podcast. If you want business advice and tactics like this every week, click that follow button wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss an episode with us. Also, if you like what you heard today, it would mean so very much to me if you would leave us a review. That helps other people find us. And I would also love to hear more about what topics you'd like for us to dive into on the show. I can't wait to meet you here again soon. Until next time, peace. This is a production of Four Eyes Media.